And as we're all getting settled this morning, you can turn with me in your Bibles or your devices uh, to Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2. We are in a series called Romans Road that is about the gospel of Jesus. And right now we're in a challenging section in which Paul is laying out the bad news that makes the good news of the gospel necessary. Last week, we ended our time together by focusing on two possible paths that a person might be on in life. There's no third path. The scripture teaches us that there are two possible paths that a person might be on in life. And those paths are so important to today's message and to actually the next couple of chapters in the book of Romans that I want to go back and make sure that we review and fully understand those paths that Paul is talking about before we move on to today's passage. The two paths were talked about at the end of what we studied last week. So Romans chapter 2 verse 5, Paul says there is going to be a judgment day where we all stand before our maker and our judge. And then he begins to describe those two paths that we might be on in verse 6. He says, He, God, will render to each one according to his, what? Works. He'll render to each one on that day of judgment according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give what? eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey, un- but obey unrighteousness, there will be what? Wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek, for God shows no partiality. And so we really, before we jump in, we need to review the two possible paths that Paul was talking about in last week's message. He says there is a pathway of righteousness and obedience and goodness. And the people on that path, they're motivated, not by the self-serving nature of those on the bottom path, but instead by bringing glory to God and being glorified by God, by bringing honor to God and being honored by God. They They are motivated by forever. And living with Jesus forever. And then there is another path that God describes as being filled with selfishness and disobedience and sin. And Romans chapter 2 says there's going to be a judgment day. And all of those who are on the upper path of goodness and obedience and love, they will enter into eternal life on judgment day. And all of those who are on the path of disobedience and unrighteousness, they'll enter into what? Wrath and fury was what he talked about there. Did any of you have a hard time with this last week? (laughs) What does he say here? He says that ultimately God is going to render to us eternal life or wrath based upon our works. Based upon our works. And if you've spent time under teaching that has taught you that your works have nothing to do with your salvation, then this is hard for you. Right? This passage is extremely difficult for you. Because it's so important to understand these paths in order to understand the section we're going to deal with today and actually the next couple of chapters in Romans, 
I really want us to step back at this point and look at the big Bible picture of these two paths that Paul is talking about. The first thing we need to understand about these paths is that because of sin, all of us start out on the bottom path. Over the next couple of weeks, we are going to see that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're going to see that there is no one righteous, no, not one, that there is no one who seeks after God. That's all in just the next couple of weeks in our study of Romans. All of us start on that bottom path of selfishness and disobedience. And so how is it that we can move from the bottom path of death to the top path of life? The Bible says that that move from the bottom path to the top path only takes place through faith in Jesus Christ. Let me say that again. The Bible teaches us that a move from the bottom path of selfish and disobedience to the top path of goodness and love only takes place through belief and faith in Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. There is no work that a person can do to move them from the bottom path to the top path. There's no amount of works you can do in order to cause your salvation. It's only by faith or belief that we can be caused to move from the bottom path to the top path. That's it. That's the only way. That's why, what's our memory verse for this, for this sermon series? For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. That's right. For everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. John 3.16 says there are two paths, a path of perishing and a path of eternal life. And what is it that makes the difference between those two paths? Believing in the one and only Son. Believing in the one and only Son. Two weeks ago, we looked at John 3.36, 20 verses after that. And it says there's a path that leads to wrath and a path that leads to eternal life. And what is it that makes the difference between those two paths? It says Believing in the Son makes the difference between those two paths. The only way to move from the bottom path of selfishness and disobedience that leads to God's punishment for sin to the top path of goodness and love that leads to eternal life is through faith and belief in Jesus Christ and the gospel. That is the cause of our salvation that moves us from one to the other. And there is no work or sets of works that we do that is involved from moving us from the bottom path to the top path. I want to be clear about that. But that doesn't mean that your works are uninvolved in your salvation. The Bible is very clear about that. They are never the cause of us moving from the bottom path to the top path. But the Bible wants us to understand that lives of good works are the evidence that we've moved to the top path. That a transformed life of love and obedience and righteousness is never the cause, but it is always the evidence that we have moved to the top path. So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. There are all kinds of people who will make the claim that they have faith in Jesus Christ. How can we tell people who've actually been saved from those who haven't? How is it possible to tell those who have a genuine faith from those who don't? James says it is based on the works of their life. Right? The works of their life make it clear. 
whether or not they have moved from the bottom path to the top path. And those are works of love that are expressed. Uh, Galatians 5, 6, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. What is it that moves us from the bottom path to the top path? It's faith. And if we have a genuine faith, it always works its way out in what? Loving the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving our neighbor as ourself. It is the evidence that says, yes, you have moved from the bottom path to the top path. That's why Jesus says in Matthew 7, Likewise, every good tree bears what? Good fruit. But a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every time a person places their faith in Jesus and moves from that bottom path to that top path, they begin to produce the fruit that God's Spirit dwells within them. They enter into a new covenant, and we're told that that new covenant, they get a new heart and a new spirit. They have new desires because they're now followers of Jesus who are a part of that upper path, and they begin to produce the fruit of God's Spirit. What is the role of works in our salvation? We have to understand that our works are never the cause of our salvation. That is only through faith or belief in Jesus Christ. But the scripture is equally clear that our works of obedience, righteousness, and love are the evidence that we've actually moved from one pathway to another. And now here is what some people find challenging because what Romans chapter 2 is teaching and what a number of other passages that we're going to look at teach is that ultimately on the day of judgment, God the judge will judge us based on the evidence. Now that doesn't sound revolutionary, does it? That the judge would, based on the evidence, would judge us based on the evidence? And yet so many people really struggle with this concept Romans chapter 2 is saying that on the day of judgment, there will be a judgment based on the evidence of which path we are on. Have we through faith entered the upper path and are our lives filled with righteousness and obedience or have we remained on the lower path of selfishness and disobedience? When the day of judgment comes, we won't be judged based on whether we said a prayer, marked a box on a card, raised our hand when somebody told us to, God will judge us based on the evidence of our life to determine whether our faith in him is genuine. That's why Jesus says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. There will be all kinds of people on the day of judgment who say, I prayed a prayer, I went to church, I got dunked in the water, all of these different things. And Jesus says, that isn't what you will be judged on. You'll be judged on the evidence of whether or not you actually had a faith that moved you to the upper pathway of love and righteousness and obedience. In Matthew 25, Jesus says, Then the king shall say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And the people asked, when did we do that? And what did Jesus say? Whatever you have done to the least of these. What is Jesus talking about here? He's laying out a whole lot of works of love. 
People saw a need and out of love, they met that need. And he says to those who have lived their lives in love, come and enter into the kingdom. Why? Because they did enough acts of love in order to earn their place in the kingdom? Right? No, we can only enter into the kingdom through faith and belief in Jesus. He says it because all of those acts of love have proven their place on that upper pathway. They have shown that that, in fact, is where they are living, in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Galatians 5, now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. What is Paul saying here? He's saying that there are people who are still living in their sins. And they can't inherit the kingdom because they're still on the bottom path. The fruit of their life shows that they have not transitioned to the path of life. They are still living on the path of death. It isn't that these sins are unforgivable, right? Jesus can forgive any sin through his work on the cross. Paul's saying, but, but you guys who are still living in this, you're, you're on the path of death. And ultimately, this is showing that, that you've never been saved, that you don't have a genuine faith that has moved you to the upper path. In 1 Corinthians 6, he says, or, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Hmm. Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. He says, there are those of you who used to live in sin, and you're still living in sin, and you will not inherit the kingdom of God. But there are those of you who used to live in sin, and now you've placed your faith in Jesus, you've entered into a whole new path, and your life is characterized by different things now. He says, such were some of you. You, you don't live like that anymore, he says. And so we see here that God is judging based on the evidence. Are we still on the old path of sin and selfishness? Or through faith in Jesus have we entered the new path of love and obedience? Matthew 12. The good man, Jesus says, brings good things out of the good stored up in him. And the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. Okay, pause there for a second before we move on. What is Jesus saying? Whatever we got within us, it works its way to the outside. Uh, what's the old P.T. Barnum quote? You can fool some of the people all of the time or all of the people some of the time. But the reality is we can't fool God any of the time. He says, eventually, what you've got on the inside makes its way to the outside and reveals the truth of who you are. The, the truth that I'm going to judge you based on. That's the evidence. And so he says, I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. God says, on the day of judgment, I will render a verdict based on the evidence. Because whatever is within you, it makes its way out. And I see it all perfectly as your judge. And I will judge you on that day based on the evidence. And he says, your words will be enough for me because out of the overflow of the heart, what? The mouth speaks. Right? Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, Jesus says. How is it 
that we move from the bottom path to the top path. That is only through faith and belief in Jesus Christ and his gospel. It is the only cause that moves us from one path to another. But the Bible is also eminently clear that the evidence that we've moved to the top path is that our, our life bear a different kind of fruit, a fruit of goodness and love and obedience. And ultimately, what Paul is teaching us here, and the Bible teaches us so many other places, is on the day of judgment, God will judge us based on the evidence. Based on the evidence. All right, so with this understanding of the two paths, now we can enter into today's passage, and hopefully it will make more sense to us. Right? The first thing, don't worry, it's only, you know, over half a chapter. Uh, the first thing that we notice as we enter into today's passage is God's wrath is for everyone on the lower path. Absolutely everyone on the lower path will get God's wrath or punishment on the day of judgment. Paul started out at the end of Romans 1 by pointing his finger to the sinners outside the church and saying, there is sin out there in the world and God's wrath will come upon it. Do you notice the pronoun he used in chapter 1? They did not honor him as God. They became futile in their thinking. They became fools. God gave them up. Paul is saying, there's a lot of sin out there in the world and in society and God has anger towards that sin and that will receive his punishment on the day of judgment. But then, just in case the people who are sitting in the church are starting to get comfortable pointing their fingers out there at they and them, what did we see last week at the start of chapter 2 in this amazing movement of the Holy Spirit, the finger that is pointed out there somewhere with a single pronoun change gets pointed internally at the church, doesn't it? And instead of they and them, it's therefore you have no excuse. This is so vital, right, to see this. All the they's and them's of chapter 1 become the you's of chapter 2. You have no excuse, O oh man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same thing. There's punishment for the sin that is going on out there. But in chapter 2, God wants people within the church to understand there is punishment for anyone who remains on the lower path, even if they're within the church. Especially if they are on that lower path but are trying to deflect by pointing their finger at all the terrible stuff out there. It's terrible out there. It's awful out there. Oh, the world. All the while, they're living on the lower path within the church. Everyone on the lower path receives judgment. Paul starts our passage today by saying, yep, Jews and Gentiles, all of all people who are on the lower path will receive judgment. For all who've sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who've sinned under the law will be judged by the law. In the church in Rome, there were Jews who'd grown up with the law and there were Gentiles who'd grown up without the law. And Paul says, if they're on the lower path, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew, it doesn't matter if you're a Gentile, the lower path is all headed towards, what's the word he uses? Perishing. Right? It doesn't matter. Jew or Gentile, well, come on, what about the Jews? They're God's people. Is there an exemption for the Jews? Verse 13, for it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. Wait, wait a minute. 
the Jews say. We're God's people. We receive the law. There's got to be an exemption for us. And Paul says, no, there's no exemption for people who've simply heard the law, who, who received the law. That's not the evidence that you've entered the upper path. The evidence that you've entered the upper path is not that you know the law or have heard the law. The evidence that you've entered the upper path is that you do the law, that you obey the commands of God. There are no exemptions for the Jews. Well, are there any exemptions for the Gentiles? After all, can't the Gentiles make the argument, hey, we didn't get the law. You can't be holding us accountable for this. We didn't get it. Come on. You ever made that argument, by the way? Hey, I didn't know. Come on. I tried to make this argument uh, the day before my wedding. No, not about getting married. But I picked up a friend from the airport who was a part of my wedding party. And as we were driving back to my house, we were on this county road where the speed limit was, I don't know, 50 or 55. And we're going along and I'm going 50 or 55. And all of a sudden, I see the police lights behind me. And I pull over, kind of confused about what's going on. The officer approaches my vehicle and he says, Sir, do you realize how fast you were going through that school zone back there? And I went, there was a school zone back there? And he said, yeah, you can see the school right there. And I went, it wasn't marked. Right, what argument was I making? I'm not responsible if I didn't know. If you guys didn't mark it, that's not my issue. Right, and the police officer pointed back to the sign a few feet and said, well, that's the sign that ends the school zone. And then do you see that sign a few hundred feet back? That's the sign that started the school zone. He said, yes, it was marked, my friend which is actually the argument that Paul and God are making here towards the Gentiles. No, you didn't receive the written law the same way the Jews did, but the law of God was written on your heart. The moral law of God is written upon every human heart. For when Gentiles, who do not have the law by nature, do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. On that day, when according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. If the Gentiles come and say, we didn't get the law, we're not responsible. Paul says, you're responsible because the law is written on every human heart. Every person has an understanding of right and wrong that is born within them and a conscience that convicts them when they go against that. Now, we can ignore our conscience when it does that. And Paul says in his letter to Timothy, we can actually ignore and deny our conscience so often that it becomes seared as with a hot iron, he says. So we can actually destroy our conscience if we act against it over and over and over again. But all of us have some sense of moral law, God's creation purposes in us. And if you ever meet someone who denies that, then just act against God's moral law against them and see how quickly they appeal to it, right? Somebody's like, no, there's no moral law. There's no innate sense of right and wrong. Just start punching their children, <laughs> right? Uh, just start spreading lies about them behind their back that destroy their reputation. Just steal all their money and see how quickly they appeal to but that's not right. Well, right based on what? 
All of us have some sense of what is right and what is wrong. By the way, don't do those things, okay? (laughs) None of them. Yeah, none of them. Uh, Whether you are Jew or you are a Gentile, we're accountable before God and we will be judged. And anyone, Jew or Gentile, who's on the lower path will face the punishment of God. That's what Paul's saying here. And God will judge us rightly based on everything that we do. Even the stuff that nobody else on earth ever sees or knows about. God knows about it and he's going to judge us, right? God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. God doesn't judge us based on the best face that we put on in front of other people. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, When my kids were younger, it seemed like trying to get them out of the door And to church on Sunday mornings was the absolute hardest time of the week, right? It was like the enemy or something didn't want us to arrive in a good place on a Sunday morning. And it was the most challenging time to get to church. There was yelling of throwing of things. The car rides there were an absolute zoo. And then we would all arrive in church and the four of us would sit in the front row. And I'm sure from behind, everybody would look and say, oh, what a nice family, Look at how great they look in the front row, the four of them. That's such a blessing. Not knowing the the yelling and the fighting and all that had gone on in the car on the way there. Not not every Sunday was like that. God isn't going to judge us based solely on our front row performances. But based on absolutely everything that goes on in our lives. He knows all of our thoughts. He hears All of our words, every action, God will judge us and he will judge us rightly. And anyone on the bottom path is headed towards God's punishment. Well, wait a minute. Maybe there's an exemption for people who really know a lot of God's word. Maybe there's an exemption for people who who really know God's word, who have it memorized and teach other people about God's word. There's got to be an exemption for those who teach God's word, right? Even if they're on the bottom path, I bet there's an exemption for them. Well, that's the question. But if you call yourself a Jew, kind of the ultimate insiders, and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law, you know the law inside and out. And if you're sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, if you know the word inside and out, got it memorized up and down, You are a teacher of other people, children, youth, adults. There's got to be some sort of exemption, even if you're on the lower path, right? You probably know the answer to this. You then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law. For it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. What was going on here? The the Jews, many of whom were ultimate insiders, who knew the law up and down, who were ready to teach people the commandments of God and did teach people the commandments of God, they were doing all of that while walking in disobedience. They were living on the bottom path of disobedience and rebellion. And while they were living on that path, they were claiming 
that they were a part of the upper path, the church of Jesus. And what is it that Paul says happens when people do that? It damages the name of Jesus Christ. When there are people who are a part of the body of Christ, when there are people who are in leadership in the body of Christ, who are actually still living on the bottom path, it damages Jesus' name and reputation. Uh, A few months ago, I asked you guys to imagine that I put on a UPS uniform, right? The, the delivery service. I put on a UPS uniform and I stole a UPS truck. And I drove to your house and I backed that truck right through your garage door, crushing your car in the process. I got a package out of there, took it, threw it right through your front window of your home, and then sped off through your garden. Right? How would that impact your view of UPS? Right? You, you don't know I don't work for UPS. Uh, everything seems to indicate I work for UPS. It would damage the reputation of UPS in your home, wouldn't it? If that happened. And Paul says the same thing happens when there are people who are operating within the church, maybe even in areas of teaching and leadership, but who are still walking on that lower path of disobedience and selfishness. Is there an exemption for religious insiders, those who know a lot, those who can teach? No, there's no exemption there either. Well, the final possible exemption we see in the last few verses. Is there an exemption for those who've gone through the right symbols? For those who've gone through the right religious symbols, is there an exemption for them, even though they might be on the lower path? Verse 25, For circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly. And circumcision is a matter of the heart, but the spirit, uh, by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. You guys, I am so thankful that I am done using the word circumcision. (laughs) Wow, that was a lot of circumcision and uncircumcision in there. Right, what was it? It was the symbol of the old covenant. It was the symbol that you were a part of God's community. It was the symbol that you were on the upper path. And what is Paul saying here? Paul is saying, what good is the symbol if it doesn't come with the reality? What good is the symbol if the symbol doesn't, in fact, indicate a reality? What's the point of going through this old covenant symbol if, in fact, your life is still on the bottom path? It's of no use whatsoever. Circumcision was the old covenant symbol. There are plenty of symbols that we participate in. Baptism, we're about to participate in the Lord's Supper. Participating in these symbols is meaningless unless through faith in Jesus Christ we've moved from the bottom pathway to the top pathway. If the symbol stands for something. I have a symbol uh, right here. 
right? What, what does this symbolize? Yeah, it symbolizes marriage and my faithfulness to my wife in marriage. What good would the symbol be of me wearing this ring if I was unfaithful to my wife? Would she care one bit about me wearing the symbol if it didn't represent a reality? If she had to choose, would she rather have her husband be faithful to her or her husband have the symbol of faithfulness? This is an obvious choice, isn't it? And my wife would contend, why not both? <laughs> right? why, why not actually be faithful and have the symbol of faithfulness? And I think Paul would contend both. Why not actually enter into the upper path and experience the symbols God has ordained for that upper path? Why not both? There is no use in the symbols if they don't represent the reality of having changed paths. Anyone who's on the lower path, no matter what symbol they've gone through, what awaits them on the day of judgment is wrath and punishment for sin. Do you understand the flow of what Paul is getting at here? He says there are two pathways. And for everyone who is on the lower path, what they will receive on the day of judgment is wrath and, and punishment. And he's saying there are no exemptions. Is there any exemption for the Jews? No. Is there any exemption for the Gentiles? No. Is there any exemption for those who are religious insiders and know a lot of God's commandments? No. Are there any exemptions for those who've gone through the right symbols? No. If you're on the lower path, it doesn't matter which of these categories you fall into. On the day of judgment, what awaits is wrath and punishment. He's telling us all of this because he wants us to understand there is only one way to avoid God's wrath and punishment for sin. And what is that way? That is through faith in Jesus Christ to move from the lower path to the upper path. That's the only way. That lower path, it leads to wrath and judgment every time. There's only one way to avoid it, and that is to move from the lower path to the upper path. And remind me again, how is it that we move from that lower path to that upper path? It's through faith in Jesus, isn't it? What does Romans 1.16 say? I, I don't know if you'd notice, but we're trying to memorize this. Yeah. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Everyone who believes. Have you believed and placed your faith in Jesus? I want to just give everybody a minute to deal with that question with God. If you just bow your heads and close your eyes, have you believed in Jesus? If, if you're like, ah, I think I might still be on the bottom path, the answer isn't to try and do a bunch of works of the top path. That's not how we get there. That's the evidence, but it's never the cause. Instead, we have to place our, our faith and our trust in him.